would, take your Bibles tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And if you're able to stand tonight for the reading of the Word of God, let's stand. And uh, tonight we'll uh, read responsively. We have 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 3 down to verse number 8. And so uh, sometimes what we do is I'll read verse 3, and then collectively you'll read verse 4. I'll read verse 5. You read verse 6 until we get down to verse number 8. All right, everybody there, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And we're continuing in our series tonight, Church, the Real Deal. And uh, we're following a biblical perspective on what Christ's intention of what the real church is. There's a lot of churches out there that claim to be the church of the living God, uh, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses and all types of churches. But I just want to be a biblical church. I want to be a church that the Lord will bless and use. And so we're going to continue our study tonight. And we're here for our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And I've entitled the, the, the message tonight, Can I Get a Witness? How many of you have ever heard that say, saying before? And uh, hopefully you'll understand where I got that title for the message tonight. And so I'll begin in verse 3 and you pick it up in verse number 4. The Bible says in verse number 3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you again for the Word of God. And Lord, I, I think about our church, Lord, tonight. And Lord, so many times I think about is our church being the light that it should be? Lord, are we being a lighthouse for this lost community that we live in? Lord, is every Christian doing their part to let their light so shine before men? And Lord, I pray that you'd help us Maybe tonight to be encouraged from this church of Bible-believing Christians in Thessalonica to maybe take the globe off of our lives and clean it, Lord, and then allow ourselves to burn brighter for you. Lord, use us to, to help many to know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue with our study tonight, we come to this passage about the church in Thessalonica. If you look here in the beginning of this small letter, this epistle, notice in verse number one, it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of Thessalonica, or the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as you and I would write a letter, and we might just write the word dear and the person's first name. Paul is writing here, and he is signing on to this letter, this epistle, to this group of believers. We've already talked about what is a church, what constitutes a church. But as we look at this tonight... Paul is really sharing some things, and this is during a time that Paul was on his second missionary journey, that he went through the city of Thessalonica. Uh, you can follow in the, maybe the maps in your Bible or even through the Word of God itself, and you can see all the many miles and all the many cities and places that Paul traveled that God allowed him to go after he was saved. Now, the interesting thing is, just like in other cities, Paul had a certain manner. There was a certain way that Paul did things, and by the way, it was pretty much a carbon copy, the same thing in every city that he went to. And the Bible establishes this in Acts chapter 17, where the Bible says 
that his manner was to go into a city and then to go to the synagogue, which was the place of worship. He would go to those Jews that were in that synagogue because we all know that uh, it was Paul's prayer that all Israel would be saved. He wanted to reach the Jews, and the Bible says to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So his manner was he would go into a city, he would go to a synagogue, he would spend time with those Jews, and while he was there, he would reason with them out of the scriptures. And what he would talk to them about is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that Jesus came and lived on this earth, that he never sinned while he was here, that he was God in the flesh, and that he died for the sins of the world, and he rose from the dead, and he lives forevermore. And that's what he would share when he would go into these synagogues and into these cities. Now, when Paul went to Thessalonica, like other places, Paul planted a church. I still believe this is a biblical practice. Is We have many that we support. Some are called missionaries. Some are church planters. In other words, someone 68 years ago by the name of George Zemer came to North Miami and realized that there is not a church in this area that is preaching a true gospel message. And what he did was he scratched off a spot. He began to try to tell people about the Lord. He began to see people saved and a church was established. A church was planted there. And there was a church in Thessalonica that many believe was a model church during that time period. A lot of people looked at the church in Thessalonica because it was a church that was very successful. One of the things about that church, and many believe this is why it was successful, was because it was a group of people who were saved, they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but in their life, in the Christian life, they were authentic Christians. Now, there's a lot of people who are hypocrites in their lives. And many people watch and honestly don't want to turn to the Lord or be a part of the work of the, of the Lord because they watch and they see what many of those people try to do and how they live their life opposite of what they're saying or what the scriptures say. But this was a group of, of authentic Christians that were sincere. They were following Christ. They were following the truth. And that truth that they followed, listen to me, they enjoyed sharing that truth everywhere they went. They enjoyed being a witness of the truth. When you hear that phrase, can I get a witness, another word that we use that basically says the same thing is amen or I agree. You see, the truth that they were hearing, they were saying to themselves, I agree with this, I identify with this. As a matter of fact, I, I, I love it so much that I want other people to know that truth also. That's the purpose of the church, is to spread the gospel, to spread the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what did they do? They spread the gospel, the truth, to the regions beyond. Look back at verse number eight. It says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but look at the words, but also in every place. Now, the known world, what had been settled and established at this time, was much smaller than the world is today. Now, it's the same size planet, but they had not been exploration. They had not traveled the distances that they have traveled. They certainly didn't have the modes of transportation. But in other words, what Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, is that everywhere I go, I hear people talking about you believers in Thessalonica. You know, in other words, they were not keeping the truth to themselves. They were sharing it with other people. And so Paul ran into people that say, hey, listen, I've heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes it's hard to me to for me to believe, but it has happened and maybe it has to you. Have you ever run into somebody and you ask them, uh, uh, who do you think Jesus is? And they can't answer that. You ever run into somebody and you ask them, do they know 
who Jesus is or what do they think about Jesus? And they, they'll say to you, well, who is Jesus? They've lived maybe 20, 30, 40 years and they don't know anything about Jesus. That's hard for us to fathom, but there are people in this world that have never heard about Jesus. And this church was trying to get the word out. They were being a witness. And the amazing thing is, listen to me, they did all that they did without any form of social media. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have all the modern convenience. Folks, listen, there is no excuse for us today to not get the gospel out to the world that we live in. We have many more things at, at our fingertips than, than the th church in Thessalonica did. And so when Paul began to think about this group of believers, notice, first of all, his remembrance of this church, the remembrance of the apostle. He began to reminisce. He began to be thankful for these Christians. You know why? Because they were being faithful. Thank God for faithful Christians. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The people that are in their place and doing what God's called them to do and happy to serve the Lord. Brother Robert's standing here singing tonight and our people singing in the choir. And there's people in the nursery and there's two new couples that are, that are back there uh, that, that are just trying to get acclimated to children's ministries. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm thankful for everyone that serves in ministry, someone that stands at the door and somebody that works the sound room. And, you know, there's always, I think there's going to be a special corner in heaven for people that work the sound room, you know? And, and folks, listen, it's a joy to serve the Lord, and I'm just glad for faithful Christians. And when Paul thought about those faithful believers in Thessalonica, he thought about three things. And I want you to see them again. Notice, first of all, he remembered their work of faith. These people had put their faith in Christ. And listen, when you get saved, what faith does is faith in Christ produces action. When people get saved, they want to do something. I remember when I got saved, I, I thought to myself, well, what do I do now? I found myself the next week on a bus, working a bus route. Uh, listen, I, I wanted to, get, to do something. And James, I read this verse this morning. He says, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, he's not, James isn't saying that it's our works that save us. He's saying, look, genuine faith produces genuine service. If you're saved, you ought to say, listen, uh, uh, you know, Dane Keeley reporting for duty. God, what would you have me to do? Uh, this is what we see in the Word of God. People asking God. Somebody said our beliefs determine our behavior. Look, folks, if you understand the Word of God, you understand what the Bible has to say, then if you believe it, then the Word of God teaches that we need to get involved. Why? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. Get involved in the work of God. And Paul says, look, I love these people. One of the reasons why I love them is because they had a work of faith. But notice, secondly, that he remembered their labor of love. Now, that word labor, some of the ladies might be able to identify with this word a little bit better than some of us men, but here's what it means. It's an intense labor united with trouble and toil. I mean, they were doing the work of God. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you, uh, when I got saved, I rolled up my sleeves as a Christian and said, look, I want to get involved in the work of the Lord. I think about all the many things that, that I've done over the years, but can I tell you that everything I've done, I've done it because I love the Lord. I, I don't do it so that somebody might pat me on the back. You see, these Christians in Thessalonica, they did what they did for Christ for the very same reason, because they loved him because of what he had done for them. Their service wasn't driven by duty. It was driven by the labor of love. Look at what Paul writes. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth. Do you get that? From the time that you got saved, the time that, that you, were, you, were, you were sinking deep in your sin, and God picked you up out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock, God says from that point on, from henceforth, that they should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
See, true love always labors. Do you love God tonight? Are you laboring the way the church in Thessalonica? See, they had a work of faith, but they had a labor of love. I honestly think it's an oxymoron to claim that you love Christ, but yet you don't serve Him. Because to me, to love Him and to serve Him go hand in hand. What can I do for the Lord? He's done so much for me. And I, I love the fact that many in our church serve the Lord, but I know this, that they are serving the Lord because they love the Lord. And that's why Paul held these folks so dear, because they had a work of faith, they had a labor of love. But notice, he also remembered a third thing, their patience of hope. This church in Thessalonica was a group of people that labored with patience. Look, no doubt that there were times in their, uh, in their church, in their lives as Christians, that they experienced setbacks and hardships and trials. But one thing is, you'll study this passage, you'll find that they didn't allow the work of God to be stopped when they became discouraged. So many do that. You know, something comes along and it, it discourages us, and first thing we want to do is quit on God, and quit serving God. Folks, I'm going to tell you, press on through. Just continue to serve the Lord as they did there. They, they steadily work for God. You know why? You know what kept them going? If you study it out, one of the main reasons Paul was writing is because they had some misconceptions about the return of the Lord. And so as they thought about and focused on the, Lord, the Lord's return, it kept them working for the Lord. Why? Because that gave them hope knowing that the Lord was going to come back. And the Bible says in verse number 10 of this same chapter, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That's the hope, the patience that they had to stay steady in their serving the Lord. And when we find ourselves from time to time, maybe losing patience, growing weary in the work, maybe being discouraged. Look, we need to do the same thing. Just remember what the scriptures say. The Lord is coming again. And that's what kept them going. That was their patience of hope. Their service for him was not in vain. It was of eternal significance. Hey folks, I'm going to tell you something. Anything you do for the Lord is not in vain. Everything we do has an eternal significance. And here's one thought is, we know this, that one day we will stand face to face with the Lord. And when that time comes, we will be thankful for the times that we have labored with a patient hope. See, Paul found in this church something that he liked. He found people of faith. He found people of love. He found people of hope. All of these are evidences that they were saved people that they were people that had a real testimony. And I love the fact, and listen, there's many times where I might be here at church in my office, I might be at home, I might be somewhere else, and I've got you on my mind and you on my heart for the very same reason. I'm thankful that, that there are people here that have a work of faith. They have a labor of love, and they have a patience of hope. Now notice I want you to see also is, Paul writes to these believers in Thessalonica. He remembers all those things about them. But I also want you to see tonight the relationships of the people. Because when you think about the, the fact that they, they were a group of people that loved the Lord, they were saved, they were, they were trying to be effective for the Lord in their generation. But we understand that as we go through life, we develop relationships with one another. And as Paul thinks about this church that had a real witness, they were also a church that was producing fruit. See, when you find a church where relationships are Christ-honoring, then what you're going to find is a church that is spiritually strong. In other words, this was a group of people that had the freedom, because of their relationships, they had the freedom to focus outwardly, to look at other people. See, oftentimes when things aren't right among us in our relationships, that's where our focus is. It's on the things that are going wrong 
in, internally within our church, within our families, within our own hearts. But these were people that had the right relationship with each other, and that gave them the freedom to focus on people that needed the gospel. So many times, we're in a place of business, we're out in the community, and there's people all around us that need the Lord, but where is our focus? It's on ourselves. It's on, I, I need to get my lunch. I need to buy these things. When God's given us an opportunity to reach other people, look at verse 6 again. The Bible says, "Ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. See, Paul's pointing out here their healthy relationships. He says, you've got a good relationship with me and you've got a good relationship with the Lord. And we need to have those relationships. Notice, first of all, they followed the human examples. Now, folks, certainly, I, I, I want to point out tonight, I, I'm not interested in people following me. But if I'm following the Lord, then certainly I think that it needs to be said that, that we follow those that are following the Lord. We want to have the right examples in our lives. And when I think of the Apostle Paul, these people in Thessalonica that were, that were idol worshipers, that, were, that knew nothing about the Lord, their first encounter with anyone that represented Christ was when the Apostle Paul came through their city and when Paul began to tell them about Jesus. To them, Paul became a testimony to them. Charles Spurgeon pointed out, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. So in the church in Thessalonica, the relationships that were being developed between the Apostle Paul and these believers were, were relationships that were being forged through mentoring. Paul was taking the time. He was investing in their lives. Also, we see this matter of accountability that, and, and I've stressed even to some in our church, that, that every one of us need to have someone that we can be accountable to. It might be a spouse. It might be another man in our church. It might be another lady in our church. But keeping ourselves accountable before the Lord. And Paul says, look, it's good to have a partner, an accountability partner, somebody who might just encourage you, text you, call you on the phone. Hey, did you read your Bible today? And Paul was doing that. He was, he was trying to encourage them. And, and look, he was saying, you develop these relationships through accountability. Another way that they were developing these relationships was through biblical discipling. He was spending time sitting down, going through the doctrines and the teachings of the Word of God. And this church had those examples, someone that they could look to. Look what he says in, in chapter number two of this same book. The Bible says, but we were gentle among you. Notice the wording here. We weren't rough with you. We, 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 we nurtured you. We were trying to be gentle. He says, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not only the gospel of God only. He says, I mean, it, that's, that's paramount. We want to make sure that you understand what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you but look what he goes on to say, but also our own souls, because ye became, ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses. I mean, he's saying, you know what I'm saying to you is true. He says, we have spent hours and hours and hours with some of you. We have gone through the scriptures. We have shared the truths of God. Paul says, look, we have tried to mentor you. We have tried to disciple you. He says, you're witnesses of this. And he says, and God also. In other words, God knows what I'm saying is true. He says, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted, we encouraged, we comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye should, you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. 
Now, Paul's saying here, look, he says, I, I have done my best to try to point you in the right direction, teach you the ways of God, to show you the Word of God, to, to, to ground you in the Word of God. In other words, Paul's talking about following him as a spiritual leader. How many of you could think of someone in your life that you know God used as a spiritual leader in your life? How many of you have somebody like that? I think to myself, you know, I, I know this is true. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for the spiritual leaders God put in my life. I know that to be true. Now, for you, it might be one person. I know for me, it, it, it really began with my wife. I know that might sound odd to some folks, but my wife is the one that actually shared the scriptures that led me to where I made a decision to trust Christ as my Savior. And I consider that a spiritual leader in my life. She pointed me in the right direction as a teenage girl. But I think of my pastor, Ken DeBose. I think about how he invested in my life and so much he gave to me, uh, many different ways. He taught me, he mentored me, he encouraged me. There were times where he exhorted me. I think about other people in my, my life. I, I think about where I went to Bible college, Dr. Clarence Sexton, and how, how, how I, I gleaned from that man when I was in Bible college. All the things I learned, uh, an instructor in college, uh, 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 Brother Keith Kaiser, taught me so many things. I mean, I, I think about the first man that I worked in the ministry alongside of, Dr. Jack Caldwell, a, a man who was a master sergeant and served our country but served our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, I can go on and on and on, but I've got spiritual leaders in, in my life. And, and understand that those people that God places in your life, He puts them there for a reason. Understand that spiritual leaders should be helpful in your life. But listen, spiritual leaders are not only helpful, it's biblical. Take, hold your place here and go over to the book of Hebrews chapter number 13. Hold your place here and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. I don't know if you've ever seen these verses, but God has helped me over the years. I haven't had a problem or an issue with this, but God's helped me over the years when it comes to this matter of understanding that God puts biblical spiritual leaders in my life and how my, my response and my affection be, should be towards those individuals. Look what it says here in Hebrews 13, beginning in verse number seven. Look at this verse. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith, what? Follow. Now watch this. Considering the end of their conversation. Now the word conversation is another word for lifestyle. And you could find qualifications for pastors, spiritual leaders in the word of God. But the Bible says here that if they have been faithful, if they don't get hung up on the word rule over you, because I'm not here to lord over anyone. No spiritual leader in your life wants to lord over you. But you do understand that God has an authority structure in all of our lives and that we are to submit ourselves under that authority. And that's what it's talking about here. And I believe this is a reference here to spiritual leaders in our lives. Look in that same chapter, verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your what? Your souls. Now look at this. As they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You know what the, that verse is saying? Is Listen, there's going to come a time where your spiritual leader, your pastor, whoever it may be in your life, is going to stand before the Lord and give an account for all those that were under that person's leadership. And so when I think about spiritual leadership, Paul says, look, I appreciate the relationship of those believers in Thessalonica. You know why? Because they followed the human examples. Paul says, look, don't follow me. Follow me as I follow after Christ. And so that's what Paul was thankful for. But not only did they follow that leadership in his life, that those examples, but notice letter B, they followed the Lord. See, spiritual leadership, Paul in this instance, always points people to the Lord. It's never, hey, follow me. Hey, do what I'm saying. It's what thus saith the Lord. Put our attention where it belongs. And what was Paul's goal? Paul's goal 
was to point people to Jesus. Paul's goal was to try to help them, listen, to get walking with Jesus, not walking with him, walking with the Lord, spending time with him, knowing God's will for their lives. Jesus promised that as we do that, in other words, as we follow him, not Paul, but we follow the Lord, that he'll give us direction for our lives. Look at John 8, 12. Jesus said again unto them, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, here's this group of believers, the church in Thessalonica. And what we find is, is that they were following Christ. Now, if you go back and study some of the demographics of Thessalonica in this day, you'll find a lot of wickedness was going on. A lot of, as I already mentioned, idolatry, a lot of, of wanting people to follow the emperor and the empire instead of following the Lord. It was no small thing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you became a follower of Christ, by the way, we are blessed in America to have the freedom that we have to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But people in Paul's day, those in Thessalonica, they became ridiculed, listen to me now, by friends and family. Many of them, because their new relationship with the Lord, many of them would lose status in life. Many of them would lose their occupations. Their jobs would be taken from them. Some of them were put into prison, and some were even put to death. All because of what? Because they became a follower of Christ. You see, Paul said, I'm, I'm thankful for the relationships of these people because it meant something to them to follow the Lord Jesus. Somebody said, Jesus wants followers, not merely admirers. There's a lot of people that admire the Lord. But let's step out of the ranks today and let's follow Jesus. Remember what he said to his disciples? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This is what the Lord would have for all of us. You see, our witness will be effective when we follow him the way the church in Thessalonica followed him. They followed him wholeheartedly. They followed him completely. And Paul says, look, I, I just want you to understand that I so appreciate the spirit that you have as a, as a body of believers. And I appreciate the relationships that you have, not only with me, but especially with the Lord. But then I want you to notice thirdly, and this is the crux of this passage, is the reputation of the church. You see, believe it or not, every church, well, let me break it down even farther. Every person has a reputation. You have a reputation. I have a reputation. When I pastored my first church, I remember going there. I was so excited to be pastoring a church. And I mean, everything was exciting. And I remember that one of the first negative things I encountered was when I was out in the community knocking doors, inviting folks to our church. I remember as I was going down the street, I can almost take you to the same street that I was on. I knocked on a door and I was excited to give an invitation, talk to somebody about the Lord. And I said, how you doing? I'm Pastor Dane Keeley from Reedville Baptist Church. And that's about as much as I got out of my mouth when I heard the person at the door say, oh yeah? Why would I want to come to that church? I mean, I heard all kinds of strange things. I saw all kinds of strange looks. I heard a lot of strange noises, a lot of slammed doors. And I thought to myself, what's, what's happened here? What's gone wrong? I mean, what kind of church did God let me become the pastor of? It was a church that had a reputation. But instead of it being a good reputation, it was a bad reputation. I thought to myself how so many times in our little area here, Pembroke Pines, I wonder what people think when they hear 
the words Bible Baptist Church. I hope they think good things. I hope they think there's a church of people that love the Lord, that love others, that want to see God's will be done in people's lives. Because I think all of us know that Satan, many times, will put out false rumors. We were, I was knocking doors and out in California, and of course, California's a totally different kind of story, but I remember as I was knocking doors, I had a lady say to me one time, I, I invited her to church, she says, well, I can't come to your church. That's what she said, I can't come to your church. I had never heard anybody say that. I said, really? I said, well, who told you you can't come? She says, well, I've been told, uh, you know, the ladies that go to your church that they wear this and this. And she says, and, and because of that, I don't wear those things, so I can't come to your church. And I said, did somebody really tell you that? And she looked at me and she goes, well, no. And I said, do you know that you're welcome in our church no matter what you're wearing? I said, now, I do think it needs to be something respectful. But I said, we have folks show up with just about anything on. I said, we have people that come from work. Well, you should have seen the look on her face. She thought to herself, I, 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 I got that all wrong. I misunderstood that. And I think many times that's what happens. And we see here that as you think about this reputation of the church, notice, first of all, that the church at Thessalonica had a powerful reception. I mean, these were people that had received the word of God and they were letting God have his way in their lives. God's word can do what we cannot do. I mean, I, look, there's been many times I've tried to help somebody. I've tried to counsel somebody. I've tried to talk somebody here or at their house or out in the community. But folks, listen, honestly, there's only so much that I can do for someone. But I'll tell you one thing, where my abilities end is where God's word begins. I mean, God through his word can change lives. And this was a, a group of people that had a reputation for receiving the word of God. You remember what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is quick, it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Look at piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our words, yours and mine, you know what they do? They fall to the ground. But understand that God's word changes lives. Did God's word change your life? Absolutely. God's word changed my life. Peter said it this way, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God uses his word, and God uses also his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to help us to be a witness, to give us power to witness. Folks, there's been many times I've tried to go out and do it in my own strength. And you know what happens? Zero. But there's been times, I remember many times where I'm out there and I'm thinking to myself, well, God's got to be pleased because I'm out here going house to house, door to door, trying to tell people about the Lord. And then it dawned on me, did I ask God for his power? Did I ask the Lord to lead me to someone today that needs to know him as Savior? And there's been times where I have stopped right there. One time I did it. It was the last house on my map. And I stopped right there and said, Lord, I've been out here. I've knocked all these houses and I haven't asked you to give me your power and lead me. I know that I only have one house left. But Lord, I'm asking you, give me an opportunity to witness to somebody behind that door. And the Lord knows this is true. When I knocked on that door, I had the privilege of leading that person to Christ. You see, we need God's power. And the Bible says in the first century that those believers in, in the book of Acts, the Bible says in verse 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Folks, listen, the witness of this church did not stay within the confines of the church. I'm always glad to see people walk through the front doors and come into the auditorium or go to one of our classes and sit and hear the Word of God. But it's a wonderful thing to see somebody walk the aisle. But you do realize that we encounter a lot more people out there than we do in here. And that's why Paul loved these people. Because their witness was not confined to that within the church. Notice, secondly, they had an influential propagation. An influential propagation. In other words, they were boldly proclaiming their faith. To everyone that they came into contact with. Now, you remember, listen, who was their spiritual father? Who was their spiritual leader? The Apostle Paul. What did he say in the end of his life? He says, I am, I am free from the blood of all men. Why did Paul say that? Because God allowed him to pen those words because everyone Paul came into contact with, he talked to them about Jesus. He shared a little bit about the Lord with them. And look what the Bible says here in verse number 7. He says, so that ye were in samples. In other words, Paul was their example. Paul was a testimony unto them. But notice, because of the growth in their lives, he says, now they are examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you, in other words, if it hadn't have been for you, there would have been a lot of people that would have never heard. Think about that this morning, this evening. There's going to be someone in your life that no one else in this church, maybe no other Christian, will ever have the opportunity to talk to them about the Lord the way you can. And Paul says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul says, look, when I get there, he says, I can't add anything to what you've already done. You know why? Because you have been a faithful, effective witness for the Lord. You have shared the gospel. You've declared the truth unto them. Listen, that's what we need to do is sound out the word of God. The word sounded out means to herald like a trumpet. They didn't keep their faith to themselves. And that's God's plan. Look at, the, look at what the Bible says in your notes here, Romans 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's a good question. Notice the next question. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Look at the next question. How shall they hear without a preacher? Say, well, God hasn't called me to preach. If you're saved, the word preach means to declare the truth. Every Christian should be a preacher. Look at the next question. How shall they preach except they be sent? Somebody's got to go. Somebody has to take the gospel to them. You've got to get the seed out of the barn. You've got to get it in the field. The soil is the heart. And the Bible says here, as Paul's writing, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of great things or good things. You know, when I think of feet, I don't think of beautiful things. <laughs> feet are ugly. My wife and I had this contest going on, whose feet are uglier, you know? But listen, that bring the gospel to someone, beautiful feet. You know why? Because those people that they bring the gospel to, their eternity could change because someone cared enough to go to them. See, they were propagating. They were spreading the gospel. Maybe you've heard this in the past, but in 1956, five missionaries surrendered their lives to go to the Aka Indians. And those five men that went to be a, listen, to be a witness to these Indian people, the Aka Indians, those five men were murdered by those very same people that they went to witness to. But before it happened, one of those men wrote a 
a quote that I wanted to read to you tonight. His name was Jim Elliott, and here's what he said, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those eye contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Now here's what Elliot was saying. He says, Lord, help me that everyone that I come into contact with, <coughs> help everyone that I confront, help me to be a witness to them. Help me to share the gospel with them. What Jim Elliott was doing is what all of us should do. Jim Elliott was leading people to the point of decision. In other words, Elliott couldn't save them, but he could bring them to the place where they either accepted Christ or they rejected Christ. And that's exactly what each one of us should do. <coughs> Elliott died at the age of 29, and a lot of people say, what a wasted life, 29 years of age, cut down. But if you study it out, many lives were impacted because of the life of Jim Elliott and those other four men. See, the power of a witness from the, the church in Thessalonica, you know what it was seen in? That as they carried the gospel, the good news, and they went beyond their church, they went beyond their city of Thessalonica, as they carried it, the gospel that they carried still impacted and gripped the hearers. It sounded out to them. Look at verse number nine in your Bible there. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned, look at this phrase, to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. I mean, here's a group of people that, that, listen, this matter of idols was so much a part of their lives and so much a part of the people that they went to. But to worship, listen, they were a people that understood how important it was to turn from those things and turn to the Savior. Now, again, in our day, it's the same way. It's not culturally accepted to turn to Christ. Many people don't like what Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. People don't like to hear that. If, if that's the only way to heaven, they're not interested. And so at the risk of being misunderstood and really in the midst of all the persecution that was going on, these Christians in Thessalonica, you know what they did? They continued to witness for Christ. They just continued to tell people about the Lord. Look in Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, their faith and their witness was a real and shining witness and their service to the Lord. The reason it was so great was because it was from the heart. Everything they did for the Lord, their proclamation of the gospel. Remember what Paul did when he went into every city? He went to the house of God. He went to religious people. And he shared the truth. He testified. He reasoned from the scriptures. And guess where those people, those believers from Thessalonica, got their pattern from? The example that God put in their lives. And they also got it from the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, their witness was known everywhere. Again, it was not because of some great marketing scheme. It wasn't become a, because of a direct mailer. It was because of their faith in Christ. I mean, these were people just like you and me. They were once held in bondage of their sins, but they had been set free. They had been delivered, and they were living out the very words that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. Look what the Bible says. God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, were, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Do you see what God's will is for all of us? As, as listen, as we, as we have been liberated by Christ, as we have been set free, that we have become servants of righteousness. If we desire to have a real witness for the Lord, 
then guess what we're going to have to do? The very same thing that those in Thessalonica, we must yield ourselves to be servants. We've got to ask God's Holy Spirit, we need your power. We need your help. We cannot do it. And we have to be obedient as they were to share the word of God to anyone that we become in contact with. We need to pray that prayer that Jim Elliott prayed. Make us a crisis man, a crisis woman, so that we can tell others about the Lord. You know what God is asking tonight? Can I get a witness? Does anybody love me enough to tell others about me? I believe that our church is that kind of church. Maybe tonight was the kind of message that just encouraged you to continue to be a witness. Maybe tonight, God, by His Spirit, is tugging on your heart that you need to be a more effective witness. Carry tracks. Talk to people everywhere you go. Maybe tonight, the Lord is impressing upon you that you haven't been a witness at all and that you need to start telling people about the Lord. You know what stops us from doing that? Fear. Fear and pride. But the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear. God it will enable us. He will empower us to do His work and to go out into this world and tell others about the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me tonight as we think about being a faithful witness for the Lord? There's a world out there that needs us to bring the truth to them. And I hope that is your heart's desire. Is Lord, help me. Can you imagine what it would be like if every one of, this, of us tonight, every member of Bible Baptist Church this year, told someone about the Lord? It would change your life. It would change our church. It would change our community. It would change our world. If we would be a witness for the Lord. You see, a real church, the real deal is a church that witnesses for the Lord. Lord, I pray tonight as we have this simple invitation that you'd help us, Lord, to say, God, with your help, with your power, I want to be used by you to tell others. Lord, that there would be many that would see our example and that we would encourage and provoke others to be a witness for you. Lord, give us boldness. Instead of being a secret disciple of, of the Lord, help us everywhere we go to talk to people about your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Would you stand?